Welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. This is me, your host, William Porteous. I am thrilled to bring you a Wednesday episode, which means, of course, it's a new band and or or artist. So this week, it's the Corets, an amazing new band from Brazil and Denmark, which, given the sound of their music, it isn't exactly what you'd kind of expect. It's um, it's a heck of a sound. I've got to say, again, I heard these guys on Mark Riley's show on Six Music not so long ago, and I, they're a turner-upper, put it that way. You hear the track, you run over to the radio, and you turn it the fuck up. This is a song called um, uh, I Want You Like a Cigarette. It's an absolute barnstorming song. So it's kind of very 60s influenced. Phil Spector, but very rock and roll. Big guitars, big drum sound, a beautiful vocal from Flavia. And it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. You know, when you hear a song for the first time and you know that's your bag, but in a big way. Not just, oh, you know, that's a cheap imitation of the cribs or the strokes or what have you, in my instance. This was just... Instantly, this is, yeah, it's derivative, but in a beautiful, perfect way. And it's fantastic. They're a two-piece as well, which their sound is, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to see them live because it's going to be something else. So, yeah, I thought I'd um, delve into their world. And it's a really groovy conversation because we we have a lot in common. And we touch base with a lot of fantastic bands and name-check a lot of cool influences. So I know you're going to love that. You'll really enjoy it. Um, yeah, so how have you been? Have you been able to check out in any way, shape or form the Sunday episode, the Paul Salopak? It was, well, it's gone down very, it's gone down very well indeed. I absolutely love that conversation. I hope you've, um, I hope you've garnered something from it. I mean, yeah, it's a lot of subject matter. So there's something for everyone in there. And if you haven't listened to it, then I suggest you do. The guy's walking from Ethiopia to Cape, to the Cape Horn. He started in 2013. It's, it's unreal, tracing the footsteps of our ancestors. Who does that? This guy does. It's incredible. Talk about long-form germ- journalism. It's, it's absolutely, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. Absolutely love it to pieces oh my goodness so just to touch back just again on the corets this is it's reasonably important to me and to them and all bands i think at the moment just to underline how much they are struggling the government have uh, dished out some dosh which is great to help subsidize some bands obviously not all bands are going to receive that in in fact, I'm not too sure how it even work, seeing as the, you know, the Corets aren't in the UK. I have no idea what the Danish or Brazilian governments are doing to support their arts. But, um, yeah, if you do feel like checking them out, the best way of supporting them, I suppose, would be to buy their, their music. And you can do that on their website, 
So if you like their music, give it a go. I would. But it's thecorets.com. How do you spell Corets? That's a good question. C-O-U-R-E-T-T-E-S. Press the 30-second rewind button on your device to listen to that spelling again. And, and do visit their website. It's, um, it's, it's a cracking one. They've got their, their new single, I Want You Like a Cigarette, coming out real soon. It's got a, a, a spanking new video as well. So I'm super excited about that as well. So yeah, I think that's pretty much it for, for now. I'll, um, I'll see you again on Sunday. I don't know who, I don't know who, who I'm going to bring you on Sunday. Maybe Bernie Marsden of um, Whitesnake fame and many other fantastic bands. He's got one hell of a, a story, let me tell you. We had a good old chat. But yeah, in the meantime, do feel free to check out my website, somedaysardiamonds.co.uk, somedaysardiamonds.co.uk, for the one and only short film, The Name. It's got a bit of dark humour in there for you. It's got a bit of the, the, the uh, I don't know, the epic scenery. 20 minutes of your life, why not check it out? Support, 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 support me. Young film, young, uh, middle, I don't know, what am I, 38 middle-aged filmmaker? I don't know what that even even means now. Am I still young? I suppose in the eyes of an 80-year-old I am. Anyway, from me, Arlo and Rosie, look after yourself, take care, check out thecorets.com, check out their music. I want, like, I want you like a cigarette. It's fantastic. It will put a massive smile on your face. Stay safe. Chill. I want you like a cigarette. I want my baby wants you like a cigarette. Oh no, oh no. Ba 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 ba. I think it probably would have been like, it was sort of original, but it was printed in its trillions, you know, like so many of them were printed and it's just awesome. I love, I mean, I, I just heard um, your latest single, um, Want You Like a Cigarette. Is that, is that going to be on a forthcoming album? Third coming album. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You have one more that we don't. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I meant forthcoming as in like, it's yeah. coming. Yeah. 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 It, yeah. It's going to be our third album. Yes. We are preparing right now and uh, the single is out. Uh, 22 was out 22 May and it was yeah. uh, sold out in uh, a little more than two weeks. So yeah. Second pressing is on the way. I think arriving in July and uh, oh, we just recorded a video. A music video for that too so some already recorded some we have to finish writing and uh, some we're going to record <laughs> it's still in the process and and it's kind of crazy you know creating is always, always crazy but in, in this particular moment of the world with the lockdowns and all, i think it makes everything a little more crazy and uh, got a little delayed to this first three week uh, uh, two months where we could not meet people at all and 
so it's a first record on lockdown <laughs> yeah wow you're recording yeah. the whole thing in in lockdown yeah we we were touring when it when it all happened it was it was a crazy start of this uh, corona period yeah. yeah we can talk fast about it but uh, we would like to to talk about good things but it was it was really weird we were on tour in france and uh we left denmark everything was normal you know you know lena was in the kindergarten and then you know everything okay and then suddenly i think it was like the no the first show we had was a tuesday the first show we arrived there and there was a girl who said to me wow you came all the way from down to play here aren't you afraid and i was like wow afraid of what and then she told me it was the epicenter of the whole Corona thing in France, the town we played the first concert. And then we were like, wow, <laughs> nobody told us that. Oh and uh, yeah, but people were out and, you know, it was not a lockdown yet. But then we heard from Denmark, oh, now the kindergarten is, is closed and uh, things started to get closed. And, uh, and in France was just normal, just happening. So we just kept touring. And yeah. uh, people from Damaged Goods, uh, Ian Duncan, they went to a, a Paris show uh, to see us live for the first time, you know, if they were signing and they were so happy there. And then and then every, uh, they, they were telling us, everybody told us we should not come because of this Corona thing. But, you know, then we come here, everything is normal. But, you know, <laughs> then two days after, <laughs> everything changed. So, but we managed to end the tour and uh, the last concert was uh, Saturday, 14th March. I can still remember because it was weird because first the show was canceled and then it was moved to a, a, a smaller venue because the capacity was going down and down of the, of the venues that were still allowed to make uh, live shows. And then uh, in that very night, we had to play a little earlier because at 12, it was announced. I mean, when we were having dinner with the promoter you know, and all these people, a big dinner table and and we were thinking it was like like the last dinner because we the, knew we the last supper, right? Yeah. And the last, uh, last supper, we would come back to Denmark. We'd be in quarantine for two weeks because that was the rule then. And all these people, everybody together. And then we got a uh, the promoter got a call saying, "Okay, lockdown is tonight at 12. So we actually managed to make the last concert uh, for all these people there in France. So they were like partying, like there was no tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, literally it was a, yeah it was it was a bittersweet night and uh, and uh, it was it was a crazy thing and we rushed home after the last show you know because the the borders were being closed and we were driving so it was yeah quite a rush <laughs> jesus everything. christ yeah <laughs> crazy story <laughs> and then we arrived here quarantine and all that but, uh, yeah and the oh shows were being cancelled like a uh, Almost every day we got a call from promoter in, uh, for a booker in Spain. We were going to play in a super cool festival in Spain two weeks after uh, Friends too. And, you know, the festival was canceled and the other shows was like, it was almost every day we got to go, okay, now what, what is canceled now? So it was a uh, 38 yeah. shows canceled for the promotion of the single. So we were so happy that it actually sold out, even though we were not you know, on the road promoting. So one big surprise, actually, you can release a single without being on tour promoting. So yeah, crazy thing. I, yeah, well, I think a lot of bands, uh, the ones that I'm talking to are learning to kind of not, uh, I, I suppose, evolve to use a crude word, but roll with the punches. And 
and also I think a lot of people that are support uh, are into music are supporting the the smaller artists, you know, the smaller bands. Um, I definitely, I'm definitely doing that. I'm really, it's really exciting to be able to, because the bands are really dropping a little bit of their their cool image and just being like, shit, we're on lockdown, we're all in the same, we're all in the same boat, and please, can you help us? And and it's just a little bit more personal. It's a bit more like romantic and and what have you. Um, and I suppose yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad you have yeah. to say this. We are just. Uh... <laughs> struggling as musicians but uh, but uh, i think we are very we're very lucky because as you said people like you who think wow i should buy a merch i should buy a record you know we 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 are amazed we knew that but we're we confirmed that we have like the best fans in the world uh you know we're we're a small band but uh, we have very faithful faithful uh fans they're they're supporting us in, uh, almost every day you know we we made a band camp for selling merch and People always yeah. buying T-shirts and and records and, and then they buy it again. We see the same name. Wow, they bought it again, you know. So it's it's so cool and it really helped us, you know. People think, ah, I'm not gonna help if I buy a T-shirt. Yes, you are, you know. Do everybody doing uh, what they can? Uh, so you know, we're we're managed to get by, which which was another surprise. We thought, okay, yeah. all our money comes from the tours, but uh, yeah, it's uh, actually yeah, it's uh, working out for three months now. So yeah. I'm really, really happy for you. Really happy that, that you know, the single's doing so well and, and you're able to, to do that. Um, but your your sound, right, is, is so cool. I absolutely love it. It's very accessible. It's very joyful music. Um, and like I said, like I've seen a lot of, I've seen like bands maybe in the early noughties, sort of like the, D, the D4, uh, maybe yeah. perhaps like the Bell Rays, those kind of bands. Um, the Rays are great, yeah. The Bell Rays, fuck me, what a band! What, exactly. what, um, what She's are the inspirations then? In you, in, is, in... Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I think it was so cool what you said about Bill Haley, because uh, rock music entered my life also with, the, as you say, you have a very uh, passionate. It, it, it sounds familiar to you. So you used this word. This, we just start talking, which I thought it was great. I, I even got like a through and about it because for me in a very young age still in my childhood I'd, that joy that rock music had really got me hooked i remember one of the first memories i remember you know music related i was uh, seven eight years old and my family was uh, actually I was with my aunt and her husband going to a summer house or something like this and uh, suddenly they had these tapes in the car and it comes this like joyful music and they were all singing, you know, my aunt, my uncle, and they had a friend, like an adult friend in a car, and me and my sister as kids. And the adult looked at me and I said, so, can't you sing this song? And I was saying, no, but wow, what is this? It was the Beatles. And oh, it was, there you it was go. Like the joyful of the music, the power of the music, but also that it put these three adults together singing. They knew all the lyrics and they were just singing it long you know and i was you know i felt so stupid i don't i cannot sing the songs you know <laughs> like the first time i was yeah. hearing them and then some years after when i was 11 at school we, i used to skip class with uh, my one of my best friends that we started to listen to music together and we were uh, smoking cigarettes and uh, skipping class and and hearing this uh, two compilations of the beatles the blue and the red one that his mother her mother had and my mom also had 
And I remember help, we like were putting the needle again and again and freaking out, jumping in the couch. And, and that feeling, also Tristan, the, the version for Tristan Shout with that voice of John Lennon, that power, that raw power, it really, really got me absolutely hooked in yeah. a very, at a very young age. And, uh, and, I, and I was curious. I, I, you know, I got to know Beatles and, and the Rolling Stones with, a, with my aunt. She was a, a big fan of the Rolling Stones. And then they were influenced by Chuck Berry and Little Richard and uh, Bill Haley then, uh, and the blues and Robert Johnson and everything came together piece by piece. Yeah. And then the Who and the beat bands uh, and, uh, you know, everything. And, and apart from that, of course, I was born in the 80s. So it was also this uh, grunge scene. And my first show, I was 12 and it was Nirvana L7 uh, on the bill. And uh, wow. <laughs> Yeah, and at, at at 13 year old, the year after, the Ramones came to Rio, my hometown, and uh, and yeah, they, uh, yeah. I was just wow. Amazing. And then that day, to, I've never did you been see the Ramones. To, I've seen the Ramones at 13, and that night, I decided this is what I'm gonna do with my life, you know. And here I am, like, dude, like, seriously, so if, you're, if if you're yeah, gonna if you if you have any doubt about being in a band and any kind of like should i shan't i go, and you go and see the ramones there's the band that's going to fucking wow. change your mind exactly yeah. because ramones it was uh, maybe the first punk rock band i got to know but they have this 60s melodic sense which i love and they were big fans of the ronettes and all the girl groups from the 60s so it's a, it was a, a very good mix for me a little more attitude and punch in the sound but it's still that 60s because I was very into beat music, 60s music with 12. Like uh, I started digging the Velvet Underground and then the Dave Clark Five and all this. It, it was all the time getting to know more bands and buying magazines was my, there was no internet back then. It was one of my big stuff was have a little money to buy a magazine. Wow. And then read about it. You know, it, it was, it was, I think I also was very lucky. I mean, I could see the Ramones in my hometown. And the yeah. venue was so packed. It was called Circo Vador. It was built as a circus tent. And it was so packed, people were hanging on the ceiling, you know. Shit. Yeah. And I saw, I, I was the like the freak of my school digging Ramones and all that. I thought I was the only one in the world. And then I went there, it was like a whole venue packed with all these people hanging in the ceiling. And I look at that as a 13 year old girl and I say, wow, you know, I'm not alone. And, and that's exactly what I'm going to do with my life because I, I could not find a better, a better feeling, a better joyful and a, and a, and a community feeling with all those freaks there, everybody doing the same sound. And, and back then in the early nineties, rock shows were not this with the roller coasters, you know, and everything that it's turned now to be. It was you look at each other and it, that's my favorite. So you just talk to everybody. I don't know if it was my memories about it, but it was like everybody was friend, was a friend. Then you could just hang yeah. out and talk with a totally stranger and cry and, and scream. And we were just there for the music. You know, it was no roller coaster or Coca-Cola and stuff, you know. It was <laughs> center in the music. And I, and I think I was just lucky because uh, 1990, the MTV Brazil was founded, uh, arrived, MTV arrived in Brazil very late. And I was nine years old. And uh, also one of my favorite things was coming back from school and just watching MTV like all day long. And all the, the, the foreigner bands who came to Brazil, like for example, Nirvana, when they came, 
they say, wow, MTV Brazil is great. You know, you play like some B-sides, you play punk rock, you have the, we call like the B-side, there was a, a program called uh, something that only played uh, indie music and, and early Mud Honey stuff. And they were like amazed, oh, because MTV likes just crap everywhere. And in Brazil was very experimental still and had room for, for rock and roll, you know. And, and another good thing, I think I was lucky at the time I was starting to dig music, was uh, the CD arrived. And people were literally throwing their record collections on the street. So I could buy like the whole albums of the Beatles for like four reais, I remember the price back then, which was, I don't know, not even a pound. And yeah. sometimes we're just walking in the street and you found this big jazz collection or a blues collection or that people were just lit. I have bought everything on CD. Now I don't want, it was, uh, it was sold Crazy. as the final was done. Vinyl is dead. Now the hip thing is CDs. And I still have my record player. So you know what? Great. So I took, and I was broke as a kid and I didn't have money to buy everything I wanted. So the vinyls was so accessible back then. So I bought the whole stuff, uh, I took the whole stuff I could, you know, home. And then uh, this is crap, this is good. And then my record <laughs> collection just <laughs> grew up. And also in the 80s, when I was growing up, the what we call Brazilian rock, it was uh, finally mainstream. So you turn up the radio, it was like this, it was a little this new wave, post-punk Brazilian rock stuff that was really fashionable and the people were hearing that everywhere. So I grew up listening to rock music in my childhood without knowing actually, you know, where it came from. And then around 910 I start to you know dig more deeply and make research and reading magazines about it and uh, then I was very happy to meet bands like the MC5 and Stooges because I was I, Ooh, I thought yeah. I was far apart between am I a punk rocker or am I like a psych beat uh, fan because I was so much for me both was great and it was a, a little bit like whether you were a punk rocker or where you were like a not hippie, but you know, into hippie stuff because I could also dig, I don't know, Jeff's airplane, for example. And then it was all mixed up, you know, I didn't have this following just uh, one stream. And then when I met, for example, the MC5 and in the proto punk bands, it was like it all got connected. They were, they sounded like the Jeff's airplane and Grateful Dead, but they also yeah. sounded like the Damned or the Ramones. So it was. It was so excited for me to 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 you know get to know the Sonics being punks after the punks and uh, and yeah. uh, just the Sonics stuff. yeah so uh, it was all like and one thing was always dragging the other you know uh, when you're curious you just start to get to know a lot of stuff you know it's so exciting isn't it like I I I love I love listening to you talk just then I was uh, literally just thinking this is great because. This is exactly how I feel, you know, like when I first heard the Ramones um, or the undertones. And like you said, you know, when when you one thing leads to another leads to another. And yeah, you do have yeah. this thing where you kind you, you, you you're loyal. I don't know. You feel loyal or something towards other bands. And and you, you think, oh, no, but they're, they're a bit harder than that band and they're they're a bit softer. You know, can they can I possibly like both? And you go, well, yeah, of course you fucking can. You yeah. Know? And then yeah, a little then the, bit like that. Yeah. Yeah, but crossover it, starts. Yeah, but but that love that you just talked about the first time you you heard Bill Haley, it's exactly this love of rock, and, and and I hope that it's not dying. You know, people who have this big impact with rock music, because I don't know the kids of today if it's it has the same impact nowadays. 
as it had in my generation, your generation, yeah. or our generation, I don't know. But it just uh, kinks also was another band, just not to leave them out, you know, the kinks. Yeah. <laughs> like, discover of, of yeah. everything. Dude, and I'm always good. talking about the kinks. Always. Yeah, the kinks are like songwriting, really, songwriting is just amazing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but I, I, we tour a lot, you know, we are all over the place in Europe, and I see rock audience getting older and older, you know. Like we are the young ones and yeah. the people like you see people like 50, uh, 50 plus really digging then, it too, 40, yeah. 40 plus. But I don't know if it's because we make like a 60s influence music and they feel also well, there. Yeah. But yeah, I, and, and it's like the vaccines when the vaccines came along, like, I don't know, 10 so years ago, uh, ex- 10 or so year, years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and they were like, they were like, oh, this is I, when I first heard them. I was blown away, but it was very sixties and very um, Ramones, or uh, you know, okay, sixties, seventies. But you could hear all the influences, and that's why, oh my god, I just fell in love with it big time. But that's what, exactly what happened to me when I heard your song. I, th- I thought, fucking wow, this is brilliant because yeah, you know, it's um, nostalgic, but it's also just got that brilliant fucking attitude in it. It's like real swagger, like a really cheeky song. I love it. I want you like to I fucking love that. And 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 okay. whenever rock and roll is female led, it's a ten times cooler automatically. Yeah. Automatically. I have also my uh, yeah my big female heroes. Yeah, yes. who 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 are uh, they? Tina Turner of the sixties with oh, I guess. She's like a force of nature. She's just amazing. It's just still alive. She's just like, she's really bad. Privy, Talking about badass girls. She, yeah. She's like, what a voice and what attitude and dancer. She was an incredible dancer. You know? Yeah. She, I mean, when the first time I saw I Tina Turner, Tina Turner was actually very famous in Brazil too. Yeah. We, I've got a live CD of hers. Yeah. In the 80s, uh, 86. I've got it. Rock and Rio, and I, with five years old, I used to put my hair like all in the faces. And I have seen a ton of hair, you know. Man. <laughs> Brilliant. So it, it came, but I, I knew, used to know in my childhood more the eighties uh, pop stuff. But when I, you know, but I already liked her. And when I finally saw this Argentina Turner show, like tight with the dancers and I cats, I was like, wow, okay, that that's that's a rock show, you know, with everything in a place. Yeah. And she, yeah, she's definitely one of my. Uh, my heroines and uh and also i, I actually play bass as my main instrument and uh, carol k i think she made great bass lines and uh and as a front front bass player susie quattro also is a she's really cool and uh with leather jackets on and Hell really yeah. playing bass and singing and uh and writing her right own stuff there. you know so yeah and of course the yeah. runaways joe and jets and and uh and all yeah. the girl groups, uh, Ronnie Spector, and all these wonderful singers of the '60s, and this, and how they wear, like the whole Motown girl group stuff, how they were stylish. Yeah, they were not just singers, you know. They were full artists. They danced, and yeah. the hair, and the clothes, and the, and the smile, yeah. and the class. They were so. Uh, I saw a documentary another day, and I said they actually had some class uh, lessons, uh, like to be classy, because if you think about you no. Know, yeah, Smokey Robinson, uh, you know, they had this Marta from the Martin de Vandela, Martin Reeves, you know, they had this uh, class, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah. all this black, powerful woman, you know, looking amazing and singing. A presence. Yeah. yeah. A f- I mean, the solid whole moment, gold. Uh, 
the girl groups and the Motown, I, I'm also very uh, big fan of all you that. You see, the thing is, what I do, right, is what I've done in the past few days after listening to your music. I started at the top, which is like the top of a slide, and I've just gone, wee, man. I just like got on it, and I have not. It's like, it's been, it's just impossible not to go from leapfrog to one band to the other and just love every moment. You're just listening to it, you're smiling on your face, because you can just, you know, you can go from like, you know, I want you like a cigarette. All the way down to like, you know, to Phil Spector, then into maybe a bit of Ramones, like, you know, end of the century. And then you can go into the Buzzcocks and then you can get harder. So it's just absolutely. And then you go into Northern Soul. It's also yeah. fucking awesome. Great. Your music's great club music. Can I can I ask you when you um, when your first gig was as as the Corets? Yes, of course. But you said club music, and that's kind of funny because I, of course, uh, as being in the nineties, I was also I lived six months in London when I was sixteen, and it was all this Britpop happening. So it, it was I remember dancing Blur and uh, Oasis and all this. So maybe that's also something I don't know. But it's it's funny yeah. because there's all these influences that when you song when you do when you write your own songs, it pops up things here and there, and that's the funny part about it. Uh, but the the first gig with the Corettes was uh, in November 2014, I think. Yeah. And uh, I don't know if you know a little bit of our story. I'm from Brazil, and uh, yeah, German, I know. Yeah, Denmark, Denmark. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and then we just start this love story, and I was trapped with my not trapped. <laughs> I was the, working with my former band in Brazil, which was going very well. We were touring all around the country, touring Europe. In Mexico, also in South America, and we were all over. And, and then we start this love story after tour together in Brazil. My former band, the Martins, former band was uh, supporting. Uh, and then uh, we were two years like boyfriend and girlfriend living 10,000 kilometers from each other. And wow. uh, after the tours, I was always ending up in Denmark to visit him. He was visiting me. So I was just too much time in the planes and then I started writing some songs about you know I've been walking through a thousand years or something like this and I just then we had like four songs then we went to the studio we played so well it actually sounds good you know I just took the guitar because I made the songs on the guitar and we never planned like okay let's make a duo because I hear a lot in leggings like, oh so you main influence is white stripes isn't it and right like, you know, right of course, White Stripes, as you said, like the vaccines and, and all the hives and, and all these bands who arrived there in a, the jet and a, in this early 2000s came come back of Garage Rock. It was great, you know, but I was already doing music back then. It was not, I like I liked White Stripes, but it was definitely not of my main influence. Oh, I want to grow up and be like them. You know what? It's because maybe we share some of the same influences, like the Kings and all, and the real, as I call it, the real stuff, you know. So it's funny because we hear this a lot and I guess, oh, okay, this comes this again. Yeah, yeah. it's definitely not a main influence at all. I don't even know if it is an influence, but you know, band is okay. But it's definitely, we didn't plan that. But if we were in Denmark with some songs and we decided to make a show in a, in a venue, a punk venue in uh, in Olbock, where we're, uh, where Martin was living, and we played eight songs because we only had eight songs. <laughs> and 
Sweet. And then it was the, we were just lucky because in the audience, the band who played with us, it was uh, uh, called Hank Robert, which was a one-man band from a guy from Paul Solo. I don't know if you heard about them. It's a very cool band from uh, Denmark. Uh, okay, yeah. What are they called? Uh, Power Solo. Okay, yeah. Yeah, they, they they travel a lot also through all around Europe, you know. And uh, Kim was in the audience, uh, Kim, Kim Kicks. And he said, wow, I love you guys. I want to record you in my home studio. And uh, and then like next month, I don't know, we recorded the album like in two days. Like very, wow. very like, okay, you play, we play together. There's a microphone here. Everything goes in the microphone. And because uh, when I was working with my former band in Brazil, everything when we recorded was so like, like the Brazilian way of doing it, or maybe also here, but it was like this everything digital brought tools and then the drummer came first play the drums then the drums were edited then i came to play the bass alone it was it was i think the modern way of recording just kills all the rush you have of playing together yeah then you have to be in the click and do 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 and if you hear all the stones records they are like many times out of the click and it goes a little behind with Charlie Watts and then it comes Charlie back. Charlie Watts, right, and, bang on, yeah. yeah. And I just think it's so char- charming when they make a mistake. It's like, yeah, then it comes that mistake. Hey, here it was. You know, so I was always wanted to record an album where mistakes were allowed and that the feeling was more important than the perfection. So when we met Kim, it was finally possible because we shared the same, you know, ideas. And then the record, the first record was recorded like in a couple of days. And, uh, you, and then I moved know? to Denmark, six, uh, I think in February 2015. So we start endly, like, uh, finally uh, touring. Yeah, I, I just really thinking when you said that about capturing the energy of something, I recorded a song with my friend in, in his studio one night. And um, it's, it's, it's remarkable how much energy was captured in that moment. And I, I wanted to write a song that was a little bit like um, Liam Lynch, you know, My United States of Whatever. Right. Good. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. And I've always been that kind of a guy of like, you know, simplistic rock and roll. And and it's just within, like you know, uh, one evening, we managed to get, get that a little bit of lightning in the bottle. Just a little bit. Not a lot, but just a little bit. And it's the drum sounds shit. They're programmed and awful. But I'm a, I'm a drummer primarily. But um, and it's just that moment that you talk about there is quite interesting. And it's very lucky. You know, you look well, people are lucky if they capture that in the moment and they've got you've got that freedom as a two-piece band like what do you think the advantages are of being a two-piece band then uh everything i mean for our band it it really makes possible that we live of our music because first you know when we make a tour when we have to fly it's two plane tickets hotels the promoters have to pay it's like one double room so and then, so when we have to drive we drive like a car like a station car with all the gear inside like we have like vox speakers from the 60s and a big cell amp red drums everything in the car so people look like how you put it all in this guy you know we have yeah. a tour bus a volkswagen bus but for for touring long we use the station car so you know it's a, a logistically it helps a lot and yeah. the fact that we are like a husband and wife, it's, it, it, hap- it helps as we want to promote and uh, uh, plan and direct our career. As I know you also have a daughter, you know, we, we, yeah, we, had, yeah. we have a son. And I, and I always keep thinking, you know, when I was playing with my former band, it was me and two guys. We were a trio. 
which was already good for traveling, you know, tri I love playing trio too. Uh, I had two trios in my life and I think it's great. And I'm a cream fan. I mean, if, if there's so many uh, Jimi Hendrix experience and there's so many great trios in, in the jam. And, yeah, the and, jam it, and it's a challenge. Out. Everybody has to, you know, kick ass and play good to make it happen with three. And with two is like, wow, even, even harder. But uh, yeah. for plan the tours, we don't tour more than five, six days, for example, in a row, uh, because we want to come back to our son. So if it was... Yeah another person in the band who was not involved in our family stuff. So they would know, but I wanted, I wanted two or three months. And I used to two or three months with my home band and I didn't miss anything. I love being on tour, but after you have okay. a kid, you miss your kid when you're in the road. And so, yeah, yeah. You know. so in this way, it helps that we are only two. It helps a lot to make everything work out and all the money comes to the same house too. So yeah. If you had a band with five piece, you know, everything would be so expensive. And, and we, we yeah. do, uh, we play in rock clubs, we play festivals. And uh, so we rather keep doing the kind of music we love and reaching mm -hmm. people like you who are, we, there's, there's this community who likes this music like everywhere. In every country yeah. we go, we meet these people who dig our music and want to have this uh, community around this kind of music. But it's yeah. not a mainstream thing in the radio and all this. So it's good that we can make a living out of it without yeah, having a part-time job or whatever, you know? Yeah, yeah, no. And I think you're playing a brand of music, style of music that's never really going to go out of style as long as you're just uh, like uh, trying your hardest. I mean, I think picking up on an audience, it's, it's interesting because Mark Riley has informed me within the space of about three weeks, two fantastic bands, another one, another band called The Lovely Eggs. They're, they're more alt-rock, but um, they're fantastic. Um, but, um, you, you know, I don't think I don't think rock and roll is ever going to go out of fashion because, when I, you know, when I was a kid, it was all like you go to blues gigs or rock and roll gigs and, and you know, the, the, the bands, you talk to them afterwards or fans and they'd all be like, oh, rock and roll's dying, rock and roll's dying, what are we going to do? And it's like, fucking hell, man, what are you talking? This is like fast forward 20 years, it's still just as strong. You can't... going on, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you it's not going to die right now. Yeah, we're not going to let it die. Maybe in the two, three generations, who knows? I don't think so. Yeah. You know? People are still so hearing Beethoven or whatever, isn't it? So it could be nice in <laughs> 200 years. People still take Elvis Presley. And, uh, oh, and my God, yeah. Day. You know, that yeah. would be cool. They deserve that. Uh, Oh and, uh, and, 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 and you're totally spot on and also this with playing on the radio and all yeah we're def there's so much plastic music in the radio and uh, i mean it, yeah. conventional radio everywhere and every country we, we go we turn on the radio in the car and it's the same shit everywhere but always yeah. have programs like mark riley's when when there's real music going on and there's also people who said wow i kind of dig this so it's yeah it's kind of fun it's kind of a dualistic thing because one thing is radio is for artificial music or pop music or uh, disposable music or whatever it's called but people always welcome when it's a little different and can offer a little more so i think it's the same here in denmark yeah. we are having some radio uh, airplay and some people say wow i felt it was so good to hear something different and it was so refreshing and and joyful and we loved that and then we just went to danish radio make an interview sunday and and the girls that like exactly like this I have to yeah. play all this pop music, but I was so glad to hear something. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So yeah, that there's people, people, people dig it, and uh, it's, well, it's about Han that's faithful. And Han 
but harnessing that audience as well is so important because like there's way more control for bands these days with with the the social media platforms and Bandcamp and what have you and be able to yeah control have more control and way more sort of like direct vision on targeting fans and being being able to have afforded the opportunity to have a really way more personal relationship with fans so that's that's fucking cool you know that's that kind of stuff is is priceless but can i just ask um quickly about the writing process like for example like um i know that at the moment you, you the, the albums you're struggling not struggling to record it because of covid but you know it's a different process like how are you how do you and martin uh what's what's the relationship like when you're like um when you're writing a song is it is it quite um is it very heated very passionate or just you know just slow or is it quick you know I think it's like everywhere, you know, I, I don't know if I have a, a method for doing it. The first record, the songs came very naturally. And I think most bands have this because we were not even planning to make a record. So the songs just, you know, came by and then, the, but then we had to do the second album after Lennon was, so I remember, you know, not sleeping and then less songs I did like, oh, oh, we have to make a song, sit down here, make a song. You know, and it was actually good songs, you know, sometimes you make yeah. a good song in five minutes, sometimes it takes time, you know, so yeah. I think the most important thing is just to have your eyes open and your heart open to these little ideas that you can collect everywhere, you know, I have a little melody, I have a, a funny idea or whatever, you know, yeah. but uh, and then it's hard work to develop the ideas and, and you know, work on the lyrics and all, but uh, it, the set from the second album on we started working with a friend, a songwriter. We mix like songwriter sessions with him. He has a his a, a organ and, and a guitar player from a band called the Blue Van here from Denmark. And it's good for yeah. me because Martin has great ideas, but he's a drummer. So I was like, I make a, a chord like a, a blues guy. And I was like, what the fuck is a blues guy? So it's good to have another one who plays chords and, uh, you know, to, to, yeah. to hang out. And uh, so the last record we wrote, I think, four songs, like the three of us, really collectively, which yeah. I, I brought most of the things ready and then Martin comes with ideas, so and so and also. And then Cigarette is also this three people uh, experience in songwriting, which is, I think it's actually, I'm enjoying it because then we go to meet him and then we are like working in songwriting. It's, uh, yeah. you know, when you have a kid sometimes, you know, oh, I have a lot of free time, but you're never really free so uh, it's it's working good and uh the b-side is also this uh, partnership with tree uh where i write all the lyrics uh but you know people also give some suggestions martin and so on so actually so like sorry so i just want to say like for example like i want what really struck me what really got me with though i want you like a cigarette um is, is again is the the kind of like there's a little bit of tongue-in-cheek bit of attitude bit of you know that the sort of 60s thing going on because cigarettes aren't cool anymore uh but they are <laughs> fucking cool in rock and roll what what are you what are you aiming for when you're when you're writing your lyrics what do you what do you who you like what where's it coming from and where are you trying to get to okay uh yeah it's a very personal start first we for this new album we have this concept of going deep in this girl groups if you spectra sound because we're digging more and more being on studio and, uh, you know, making overdubs and, but in, I mean, the studios, like the good, good old time studios, you know, the right overdubs and not this uh, digital stuff, but uh, we're enjoying uh, to, you know, uh, find new ways in the studio. The first uh, record was so raw and it was great. We love it too. In the second record, I did some, some piano parts, some overdubs, backing vocals, 
So we're going a little more in this direction of enjoying the time in the studio. But the lyrics actually talk about when we had this session book with songwriting with this friend, uh, Martin stopped smoking. And uh, actually, by this time, was smoking a little bit. I never, I've never been a smoker, like a heavy smoker, but Martin was like yeah. a, a very heavy smoker for more than 15 years, 20 years. He's a drummer, man. Yeah. And then he was like, we went to the session and Martin was like totally shake with the hands shaking of <laughs> abstinence, nicotine oh, abstinence. And we were like, we talked <laughs> so sorry. This is how we are today. We're going to do our best to write some hits in this state of Martin. And then we were, I would start joking. Okay, I think maybe we should write a song about this, you know? Yeah. Yeah, but let's, let's make it look like a love story. <laughs> so it's actually, uh, the, it's a love oh, story love of cigarette but you cannot go on in this relationship so it's kind of breaking up it's a cigarette yeah. breakup and he's still not smoking six months ago so that's oh man well done for him yeah. man. that's really good that's yeah. really cool oh, and man. we made a song about it so it was yeah two yeah. times yes yeah i wanted to make it that it you know nobody knows it's it talks about actually yeah. nicotine addiction kicking out the nicotine addiction actually but uh, well, there we go. Yeah, it's a love story. I wanted it to sound just like a love story, you know. Yeah, because I think um, it's quite interesting from my personal perspective. I've I've written plenty of songs over the the years and what have you, and I've really struggled lyrically. Always really, really struggled. But I find when I cut through the most is when I'm when I'm when it's when I'm not concentrating. When I'm just putting it out, I'm either we're either jamming it or it's just. I'm not thinking about it so much and not trying to sound like fucking Bob Dylan or what have you and trying to be all profound. Yeah, I've got a song. I've, I've got a song that starts to show the book, the, the podcast. And it's just, it, it doesn't make any sense. The lyrics don't really make any sense, but I love, I love it. You know, I'll send you a copy and, um, or what Great, have you. But, I love it. What, what you is the, I, the name of it? Well, the band was called uh, dad's dance best. Okay. Um, <laughs> I wasn't even a dad. I was just like, fuck it. It sounds yeah. fun, yeah. right? It just sounds yeah, like that's fun. Good. That's good. That's funny. And it's funny. Yeah. Cool. But you, you just really, you must love it because you found such a compact, you've got a compact band. You've got a really good way of writing songs. You know, you can go out when this shit is finished, you know, you can go out on tour relatively easily. You, yes, you've got so true. much control, you know, it's, it's a really great thing you've got going on. Yeah, it's a, it, but it's also big work, you know, some people say, sometimes we, we have friends here, they say, oh, it's amazing, you're everywhere, you just went to Berlin and London must be great, and it is great, we locked in on tour, but it, it's actually hard work, and some people, they only see like the, it's not so glamorous, you know, as it oh, looks God, like, yeah, no. it is hard work, and you're not going to sleep, you're going to take thousands of planes, the planes are going to be late, and this and this, and uh, you know, uh, especially when you do, we do most of the things alone and we have some bookers, we have some drivers sometimes. We have a lot of bookers and we have sometimes, you know, partners like drivers and all. But sometimes yeah. we drive ourselves, so you cannot just, you know, finish the show and get super drunk because you have actually to drive the next day. So, so yeah. we do this because we really love and this and this rush you get after making a show, you know, there's, there's nothing that comes close to that. We're both like really we we like to give uh, energetic shows because that's what we think rock and yeah. roll is about this catharsis this uh 
you get a little out of yourself, you get wild, and then people get wild, and then, then you get even more wild, wild, wild. <laughs> you have this energy back. So that's yeah. what we think. And that energy every night, you know, it's just it's just amazing. It's the best job in the world. But uh, but also this with the management and, and uh, you know, you said, oh, with social media is great. You have control of your career. But it's kind of hard to have control of it. You know, it's easier, like, the, I don't know if it's easier, but uh, you think this old times, the old days, the idea of this artist who's there. This, uh, yeah, it's a lot of responsibilities also to know, you know, what are you going to do with your career or where you should play next? So after COVID, where should we go to UK or should we go to France? Should we talk to the booker in Holland or with the booker in... So, you know, it's a lot of decisions you have to do all the time. And uh, yeah. Great, there's a big freedom, but it's also big work. And all, the social media itself is a big work. You have to find content every day, keep your audience and Tell even now in these times, you know, it's even more important that they have some some things, you know, to remember you when you can actually be yeah. out again. So I think we well, actually need to do a good good work. You know, we post photos of doing the video. We made a release in store concert in the record shop last weekend. Yeah. After two months, we uh, played live. We did two live streams, and uh, you know, it's uh, you have to be creative. But it also takes a lot of work that people usually don't see. You know, in this capitalist world, you have to remember, you don't have to have a lot of money. You know, because the more money you have, the more you expend. So if you're clever, I mean, we have addiction in records and guitars and old gear. But apart from that, we if you don't, if you say no to just consuming stuff, you're all the time pushed to. To have the new car, the new iPhone, or the hippie, the, the hippie, the, you know, the, the new shit of technology all the time. If you just perceive that and then you're out, you manage to, to realize, you know, it's I better use my time, which is the only thing I have to do what I really love and, yeah. and make a living out of my music and putting down my, you know, my needs because you, you, it, they, people all the time try to push you to buy stuff that you actually don't need. So if you're clever, you can actually make a living doing whatever you want, you know. Yeah, you know, I completely agree. So fucking cool. Can I can I ask you if Martin could take a picture of you? Because I haven't record, I don't record these podcasts um, with video. Um, but you look fucking amazing. That dress is awesome. I absolutely yeah. fucking love it. It's so cool. I can imagine Diana Ross in that. It's so fucking awesome. Wow, thank you. That's big words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah, it's a big, big statement. But um, yeah, that'd be so cool because I can put it on Twitter and um, what have you okay, and, and cool. Instagram. Because um, yeah, it's most of the people that I do these chats with, they they don't they, they're lovely people. They don't have much style. So you you got so much yeah, style, man. I love it. We believe so cool. rock and roll has to be style. You know, uh, you have to be you have to have your style. Otherwise, you know, if you think about Little Richard and all that, it's, I talk a lot about Little Richard. I just finished her his biography again. It's amazing. I recommend. Brilliant. Yeah, it's amazing. The Kazar or the Quasa of rock and roll. I think that's what Little Richard's amazing. Book. Yeah. And uh, you know, look look at his image. He was like shiny with shiny uh, suits and uh, with the hair, like uh, yeah. 15 centimeters pompadour and a uh, makeup and pancake. Fucking and awesome. Black and gay and wild. So yeah. I think, you know, you have to have style to, to style is a part of rock and roll. Send me a picture and I'm going to send you some, I'm going to send you a couple of songs of mine and okay, I can't, fuck, I can't fucking wait to see you guys live. I can't wait. Yeah. Thank you. Which city are you based in the UK? I luckily London. So okay, for cool. the time being, yeah. Probably yeah, so. in the spring, we're going to come back uh, to do the tour we cannot do in May. So any, any, any particular, what venue in London? 
We don't know. We were booked in this fiddle's elbow, which is going through a hard time now. So who's going to be left when all this? This is what we are actually very worried about, this music business, like small, medium clubs, uh, in all the scene, the niche scene, then the freaks, the rock and rollers. What is left after this crisis? Yeah. This is what I'm actually most uh, worried about. Which venues are going to be closed? Which bookers are going to be cooking or doing something else, uh, being a chauffeur Mm. because they are broken? this is actually what's going to be left after this crisis. Yeah. That's actually what's puzzling us. But uh, I don't know the venue yet in London, but uh, probably in the, in the spring you're going to hear from us. Please follow our page so you you have uh, yeah. so you of have course. some uh, some news from us. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hear your music too. And yeah, whenever it's out the podcast, please let us know because then oh, we can share your, your news. Yeah, of course, man. Well, thanks so much for your time and, and say hi to Martin for me. Yeah, thank you so much, William. And uh, yeah, big hugs to your little daughter and I hope you can sleep. Yeah, thanks for Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye.